to 1 Corinthians, reasons to be cheerful. This is what we're going to be looking at today, reasons to be cheerful and not frilly um, reasons to be cheerful. Good. So uh, 1 Corinthians 1, we're going to read it a little bit later. I'm saying that in faith because I'm going to have to stand back half a meter. Uh, from verse 4 to 9, that's what we're going to be looking, back, uh, looking at. Back in 2015, Gail took Catherine across to the States to go to university, and they went, they went to Boston. There was this very kind, generous American family called the Richardsons who put them up. And they lived in a small village called Acton, uh, which was just outside of Boston. And the one day, they gave Gail and Catherine the keys to the car. They gave them some directions about how to get to where they were going in Boston to do some sightseeing and how to get back. And Gail and Catherine went off, and by the end of the day, they got to the car and they couldn't find those directions anywhere. Now, I mean, if you look at Boston, um, it's, it's just, I, I just wanted you to see all of those motorways kind of radiating out from Boston. Um, and then Acton up in the top left-hand corner where they had to get to. So they were going to have to like, try and get to the right motorway and then get off the right motorway, and they didn't have any directions. Um, they had cell phones, but they didn't have any numbers to call. Um, they didn't have any sat-nav. They didn't have data on their phones, so they couldn't use Google Maps. So they were in a bit of a pickle. And so they thought, well, what do we do? We just have to trust that God isn't going to allow us to spend the rest of our lives driving around Boston, <laughs> that, that he is actually going to show us how to get home. He's large and in charge. He's more than able to do it. So let's just start driving. Now, earlier in the chip, the, the Richardsons had pointed out this ice cream parlor because of the story that was behind it. This parlor was in their suburb, close to their house, fairly close. And um, so there was this high-flying businessman who worked in Boston. He got tired of the corporate world, so he decided to reimagine his life, and he opened up an ice cream parlor, and he called it Reasons to be Cheerful, which is a really funky name. Um, anyway, so that was the story. Um, let's go back to Gail and Catherine now. They're busy driving. They made a few wrong turns. They ended up at a ski resort, which was nice. <laughs> they also ended up at a maximum security prison, which probably wasn't so nice. <laughs> um, and they, 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 also Boston, the way they control their intersections is they've got these massive roundabouts with like just thousands of cars going through them. They call them rotaries there. Um, and the thing about it is now Gail's driving on the right-hand side of the road and she's got to go the wrong way around um, the rotary. So it, it was pretty scary. Anyway, they were driving down this motorway and then suddenly Gail looked over to her left, sort of down, and she saw reasons to be cheerful. <laughs> and she realized that she was probably fairly close now to where she was due to go. And so she managed to take the next off-ramp, made it to reasons to be cheerful. Very, very um, kind workers there. There were two of them that lived in Acton, and so they were able to direct Gail home. You know, the point is that no matter how out of control your life feels at the moment, there are reasons to be cheerful. And that's what I'd like you to go away with today. 
But those reasons to be cheerful are not to be frilly edged things. They need to be based and grounded on reality. And if we look at our life and we look at our circumstances through the lens of the gospel, then we're going to find genuine reasons to be cheerful. So let's turn our attention to Paul now, because this is exactly what he's doing at the start of his letter. He's spent a year and a half in Corinth, and sometimes it got pretty hairy. On one occasion, God actually sent him a special vision of an angel to say, carry on ministering in Corinth, because I've got lots of people that I've chosen here, to encourage Paul, because it was dangerous. And so, so Paul went through a lot of dangers there, and he worked there for a year and a half, and then he moved on. And at the time of writing 1 Corinthians, he was in Ephesus. And he started getting all of this news about the church in Corinth. He, he heard that there were divisions in the church, that people were questioning his authority. They were overeating and drinking as they shared the Lord's Supper, because in those days you would actually have a meal. And what was happening is some people were eating too much and drinking too much. They are actually getting drunk. And there were other people in the congregation who didn't even have any food to bring to the Lord's Supper. And then he heard, as this man sleeping with his father's wife, his stepmother, and the church is actually using it as an occasion to say, aren't we amazing? We, we have freedom in Christ even to do that. I mean, this is how screwed up their thinking was. And then there was chaos in the services because they were using the gifts of the Spirit, but not with the right motivation and not in the right way. So one person would stand up, just as Dave had done, to give a, a prophetic word. But suddenly in the middle of it, someone else would start speaking, and then someone else would start speaking in tongues. So it was just absolute chaos. And Paul's now writing to them, and it's conventional at the start of the letter to start off with some thanksgiving. What is he going <laughs> to thank God for? In these circumstances, when he knows that this church, which he's invested so much energy into, just seems to be imploding on itself. What does he have reasons to be cheerful about? So we looked at the greeting last week. This week we're going to have a look at the thanksgiving and the blessing. Um, and what Paul is doing here is he's setting us an example, and that's what I want you to get today. He's setting us an example of how to look at your life, at your circumstances, through the lenses of the gospel in order to see the eternal truths that still apply to your life. Not the things that are visible, but the things that are unseen. These are the things that are going to prevail in the long run, and that's what he's looking at, and that's what he's giving thanks for. And in identifying them, and in giving thanks for them, he's actually forming a picture of reality for himself. And this is what we need to do as well. We need to have an accurate perception of reality if we're going to make decisions in our life. And also think, it's just a wonderful example to us. If we're going to be chatting to someone when there's a difficult conversation, maybe there's some, something that we're unhappy about, always start off by thinking, well, what can I be thankful for? What can I be grateful for? What is positive before I move on to some of the things? So, and, and it's not just doing it just to be positive. It's to, it's to help yourself and the other person to see the eternal truths that underpin the foundations of our lives. And so Paul gives thanks for four things. We'll put them up there. Um, there they are. And let's read, see if you can identify them as we go through these verses. I give thanks to my God always for you. 
Why? Because of the grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. Isn't that a lovely statement? God is faithful. When something happens this week, maybe you get blindsided this week, the first thing that must come into your mind is God is faithful. God is faithful. By whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So let's take each of those four things uh, one after the other. Well, first of all, grace. I give thanks to my God always for you. Why is he giving thanks? What is the cause of it? Because of the grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus. Notice that God is the source of the grace. It's always worth remembering that, that the source of our life Everything that we need for life and godliness is God. God is the source, and God is the giver. And how is it given to us? Can you see it there? It is given to us in Christ Jesus. So I just have to say today that it's not worth, it really isn't, trying to get through life without entering into a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Because it's, it's only in Christ that we are able to live the way God has designed us to live. God didn't design us to have other sources of life, to have other sources of grace. And so when we put our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ, this man who lived 2,000 years ago, if we believe that he was God and man, that he lived a sinless life, and therefore was able to die in our place for our punishment, and then was raised from the dead, that we too will also be able to be raised from the dead. And folks, it's when we do that, it's that process of being born again, of being put into right relationship with God, that we can then receive on an ongoing daily basis the grace that God has for us. But Paul has something specific in mind here. What is this grace? And it's clear from the context and other evidence that Paul is actually referring here to spiritual gifts. Do you see what it says in verse 7? It says that the Corinthians were not lacking in any gift. Charisma. That word is used in the Bible, and especially by Paul, to refer to spiritual gifts. These are extraordinary powers that are given to us in order to build up the church. Verse 5 says that in every way the Corinthians were enriched in all speech and knowledge. That word for speech is actually an umbrella term, and it refers to all the word-based gifts. The gift of being able to preach, the gift of being able to teach, the gift of prophecy. And then he puts it together with the gift of knowledge, because, you know, if God gives a person a gift of knowledge, some sort of supernatural knowledge or understanding, they most likely need that word-based gift to communicate it clearly and accurately to the congregation. But I wonder if you're beginning to pick up something here. That it was actually those gifts, those speech gifts, that were the very ones causing trouble in the Corinthian church. We know. 
because of the teaching and the context later on in the letter. I referred to it early, you know, the fact that some people were, one person was speaking tongues, another person was giving a prophecy, and it was actually turning away visitors because they couldn't understand what was going on. And Paul looks beyond that problem to an unseen reality which he can give thanks for. And that's what we need to do in our lives as well. So what does he see? Well, he sees a genuine manifestation of spiritual gifts, even if the Corinthians are using them in the wrong way and with the wrong motivation. That's the first thing that he sees. He also sees no lack. You are not lacking in any gift. And this reassures him, this is key, that the testimony about Jesus has had its effect in the Corinthian church. In other words, it bears evidence, the fact that they have the gifts, bears evidence of the fact that they've been put right with God and God is now able to give them those gifts. They've been saved, in other words. And because of these reasons, he's grateful. And he doesn't throw out the baby with the bathwater. You know, so often in our lives, when somebody uses a spiritual gift the wrong way, um, we just immediately think that I'm never ever going to um, open myself up to the use of spiritual gifts again. I don't want to go to a church where they use spiritual gifts. No, these things are actually good. They're here to build up the body of Christ. They are evidence of the fact that we have been born again. And so he doesn't throw the baby out from the bathwater. And, and we can just learn so much from Paul. We learn that he gives thanks for the work of God that he's done in the Corinthians by giving them spiritual gifts. He sees it of evidence as evidence of the fact that they've been saved. His preaching of the gospel wasn't in vain. Um, all is not yet lost. They've heard the testimony about Jesus and they've responded with belief. But there's more to give thanks for. Let's have a look at the second one. And, and this for me is, is just very special. Let me tell you why. So there it is um, in verse 7. Not only has God began the process of salvation in them, but he is also going to sustain it. He's going to keep them going. As you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, Jesus will, sustain you to the end. You have a powerful protector. You have a powerful sustainer in your life. I wonder if you know that today. So the big idea is that although there are problems in life, all is not lost. Don't throw in the towel when you face problems. All is not lost. God will sustain you just as he was going to sustain the Corinthians to the end. You know, the finish line for us as believers is, is either when we die or when the, uh, the Lord returns, whichever comes first, and God will make sure that you finish the race. And remember that there's a difference between hurdles and roadblocks. God is going to get you over the hurdles. He's going to make sure that you have the grace and the ability and what you need to get over those hurdles. They're not, remind yourself that they're not roadblocks. They're not going to stop you from being saved. And the ultimate consummation of your salvation, which is to be raised to new life when you die or when Jesus Christ returns. And Paul expresses a, a very similar sentiment in Philippians when he wrote, and I am sure of this. I'm sure of this. What is he sure of? That he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. 
you know, as I look out over the congregation, I know a lot of you quite well. There are people who are facing real struggles at the moment. And I just want to say to them, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Folks, when things go pear-shaped, we must counsel ourselves just as Paul did on this occasion. We must learn to do this. And it does take practice, I'm telling you. We need to follow the example of the, the writers of the Psalms. Do you know that the Psalms is a collection of prayers where people are actually, the, the writers are actually counseling themselves. They're busy trying to look at their lives through the lens of the eternal truths that hold sway in their lives. Psalm 42, verse 5 and 6, he says, Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. He's counseling himself. He's talking to himself. Put your hope in God, um, for I will yet praise him. He knows that at the moment... It's really hard, but a time will come when he will be able to praise him, my Savior and my God. And then he goes on to say, my soul is downcast within me, therefore I will remember you. Remember God. Remember his character. Remember his attributes. Remember the grace that he has for you. Remember your eternal inheritance. Remember your living hope. Remember your powerful protector. All of these things, we counsel ourselves, we strengthen ourselves, we build each other up. So yes, there are problems at the Corinthian church, but the gifts are a reminder that the Corinthians responded to the gospel message. And since God has initiated that work of salvation in them, he is going to sustain them. It's just a hurdle. It's not a roadblock. He's going to bring the work to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. Therefore, not only will they cross the finish line, but they will do it in style. And, you know, Paul's setting this scene because he's going to say some pretty hard stuff to them but he wants to remind them um, of what really stands underneath so we talk about getting across the finish line in style that's what the innocence is all about look at verse 8 he will sustain you to the end and and then here <laughs> here's this beautiful bit guiltless in the day of our lord jesus christ when the Lord returns, in spite of what's been going on, they will be found guiltless and innocent. Isn't that beautiful? And the, you know, the only way that we will be found guiltless and innocent is when God opens up the record of our life and finds the perfect record of Jesus in there. That's the only way that we're going to be found innocent. And that's what happens when we put our faith and our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. He takes your imperfect record, rips it up, throws it into the wind, and takes Jesus and puts it in there. And we are then judged on Christ's perfect record. We will be guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that beautiful? Oh, I'm just so encouraged by that. You know, some of the things that I struggle with in my life... Um, are external factors but often the way I respond to them is sinful um, and then I often give in to, to temptations and sometimes it's, you're just like oh Lord I, am I going to make it guiltless <laughs> am I going to you are, I am because it's not based on my record and the very fact that I'm feeling terrible about those things and continue to fight against them and, and continue to get up every morning and say, Father God, it's a new day, it's a new start, thank you for your forgiveness, 
going to try my best um, with your strength. You know, the fact that I'm doing that means that I am saved. It means that I have got Christ's perfect record. And that's what God is going to see when, when, when Jesus returns and comes to judge the living and the dead. Last thing. God is faithful, verse 9, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. I mentioned it when we were reading it. Don't you love that phrase? God is faithful. We are sometimes unfaithful, but God is always faithful. We were called. Don't you love that? Do you know that, for me, whenever I think of this, I think of um, what it was like at junior school, um, in particular when you were perhaps more insecure than you were at high school, although you were insecure then as well. <laughs> but, you know, in junior school when they said, oh, no, let's play a game of football. Uh, let's choose teams. Um, you know, Ryan, you can be the captain, and Pete, you can be the other captain. You choose your team, you know, and you're like you're waiting to be chosen. <laughs> and people are getting chosen and you're still waiting. Do you remember what that was like? Or maybe you're the kind of person who got chosen first. Um, but, but God called you. He chose you. Isn't that remarkable? It's not, it's not because of anything that you've done or because you're particularly good looking, although in my case that does apply. <laughs> Just joking. Um, no, it's got nothing to do with us. In fact, he the Bible says that while we were dead in our sins, you know, nothing much to be liked about us or to be loved in us before he called us. But he called us. And what has he called us into? He's called us into the fellowship of his son. It doesn't say fellowship with his son, although obviously that's a part of it, but actually the fellowship of his son you know, what's he referring to? He's referring to the fellowship of believers. He's referring to this family. Once again, he's looking at the eternal truth that will ultimately prevail in the Corinthian situation because at the moment, they're not enjoying good fellowship. And it's a gentle reminder, for heaven's sake, don't follow Paul, don't follow Silas, don't follow Peter. Follow Jesus. That's where we're going to find our fellowship. That's where we're going to find our unity. We're not necessarily going to find it on debatable doctrines or the choruses that we sing um, or what our Sunday service looks like. No, it's because we are members of a family. We've been called. We've been adopted into God's family. We are in his fellowship. So can you see what Paul was doing in this, in this Thanksgiving? Just very intentionally putting on the lenses of the gospel looking through those so that he would an, have an accurate perception of his circumstances, because otherwise he would have probably just thrown in the towel and said, ah, flip, it's a, it's a renegade church, I'll just leave them to it, um, and I'm going to head off to Macedonia or somewhere else to go and do something there. No, he didn't, he didn't do that. He, he, he was encouraged. And, and it's the same for you, whatever it is that you're going through in your life, reasons to be cheerful, and it's not simply because you've got an ice cream in your hand. You know, it goes, it goes a lot deeper than that. It goes beyond that. The things that we've been talking about today, these lovely truths. Shall we pray? <coughs> Father,
Father God, so many reasons to be cheerful today as we come to your word. And we're just so inspired by your, your precious son, Paul. What a difference he's made to our lives. Um, thank you that the river of life flowed out of him to us. And Father, this week we pray that the river of life would continue to flow out of us to others, that we would be a blessing to others. And we just know that that will happen when we have an accurate perception of what's going on in their lives, of what's going on in our lives, of the eternal truths and principles that apply, uh, that form the foundation of our lives. So please just open our eyes. And we just invite you, Holy Spirit, please come, open our eyes to the unseen truth that makes the difference. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.